Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Welcome back to the Theater Podcast, intimate personal conversations with the industry's biggest names. Our guest today is Marla Mindell, who of course is playing the amazing Celine Dion in Titanic Off-Broadway. Marla is one of my absolutely oldest friends in New York City. Not that she's old, that's not what I meant. (laughs) She's uh, somebody I've known the longest since uh, moving to New York City a long, long time ago. We see each other in spurts, but when we do, uh, we reconnect like no time has passed. You ever have one of those friends that just no matter how long you go in between seeing each other, you always just have everything to catch up on and can talk like nothing ever, uh, like you were never apart. That's that's how we are. It's awesome. She's an amazingly genuine person who just says what's on her mind and has this uncanny ability to just write it down effortlessly. It's a talent that I really envy. And of course, we talk about Titanic, this smash hit off Broadway. It's been in the recording. We say that. Uh, it was record. It was extended three times. And between actually doing the interview and me recording the intro right now, it was extended again. So it's got a f- it's got a fourth extension that was just announced. Now they're playing through September tenth. So it's going to be there for a while. Go down and check it out in Union Square because my God, it's so funny. Find me online on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all the places. Leave a rating and a review. And everybody, now please enjoy this episode with Marla Mandel. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today. At LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Here you go. One, two, three. Today's guest is someone I've had the pleasure of knowing for, I'm pretty sure, the entire time I've lived in New York City, which is now, wow, over... 
15 years. Uh, she made her Broadway debut in South Pacific, originated the role of Sister Mary Robert, the nun who hasn't completed her vows yet, in Sister Act, uh, originated the role of the evil stepsister Gabrielle in the 2013 revival of Cinderella, and was Kitty in the first national tour of the Drowsy Chaperone, in addition to being the evil boss Olivia on the Emmy, 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 on the Emmy-nominated series Special on Netflix. She is also a writer, a composer, with multiple writing projects sold and in the works. She can currently be seen on stage right now, playing the true-to-life Celine Dion in Titanic at the Daryl Roth Theater. <laughs> Marla Mandel, welcome to the Theater Podcast. Oh, wow. You know my whole resume. I'm obsessed. That's it. That's everything. everything That's everything plus- I've ever done. Everything you've ever done in your entire life. And this, we were just talking before I started recording. Like, I've known you. You're literally, I think, now my longest, uh, uh, I was going to say, li- my longest friend in New York. I was going to say living friend in New York, but that sounds like everybody else is dead. It's dead. But- <laughs> I am dead inside. I'm dead inside. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're like my remaining friend because, like, it, circles change and grow and things move around and, like, people obviously meet and lose touch, but, like, yeah, I we've known each other and still been in touch for the entire time I've been in New York, which is kind of insane. So. I know, it's so crazy. And even when I went to Los Angeles for eight years, we still kept in touch. And now it's so, it's just full circle to be back and doing your Broadway podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe you went to LA. Yeah, you went to LA for, for eight years. But I mean, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Yeah. So uh, uh, Little Marla, like you grew up in Pennsylvania, right? I grew up in Bucks County, Pennsylvania, home of the Bucks yeah. County Playhouse. Um, right. Yeah, so I, I lived. I lived only about ninety minutes away from the city. My father was a musical the- is a musical theater composer, and so I was growing up listening to every obscure musical theater record you could ever imagine. And I started seeing shows in the city as early as three years old. Like I think I, Big River was my first Broadway show, and I was dead silent, which is a twist because I was a raging bitch baby. Um, and so <laughs> I just knew I knew from a very very young age. I was like, musical theater is it? It's all I ever want to do. And so, yeah, and so I went to college for musical theater and then started my career, thankfully, very, very soon after graduating college. And you're the the oldest of three other two two lovely sisters. Yes, um, correct. And uh, you annoy the hell out of them in a, in a very pleasant and happy way. And <laughs> <laughs> I love how they, different you all are. Yeah, they, they do treat me. They treat me like I'm the youngest and an idiot, which is wild because I'm <laughs> significantly older than both of them. Um, <laughs> Lisa and I went to college for musical theater together, and then she quickly realized that musical theater is wonderful if you want to be broke your entire life. And she was like, F this, I'm going to be a financial advisor. So now she's making more money than any of us um, working at an independent independent financial firm in Los Angeles. And Olivia is the black sheep of the family. She wants absolutely nothing to do with musical theater. I don't blame her. And she works <laughs> in uh, in magazines. Olivia gives like zero fucks about. Oh, I know. I love it. She's she's the absolute best. The twist is she's the best singer out of all of us, but she refuses. She refuses to sing out loud. So we'll hear her in the shower. We call it. I'm. I hope I can say this on air, but whatever. We call it pussy riffing because it just sounds like it's like little tiny pussy riffs because she's always like yeah, like Mariah Carey breathy riffs in the shower. But she's fierce. (laughs) I did not know she could sing. Oh, she's the best. I did not know she. I mean, I knew she was an amazing photographer, but because I've oh, seen, yeah. I've seen, I've seen her work there, but I've never, I never heard her sing. That's incredible because she's just like, whatever, I'm, I'm gonna do what I want. Like it's that, yeah. it's that damn generation, man. Get off oh, my yeah. lawn. <laughs> Get off my lawn. Okay, so, so I knew you. I think we met when you were doing South Pacific. Yeah, that would be 2007 ish. 
right? Yeah, maybe, maybe even, yes, yes. Yeah, 2006, 2007 is when our friendship truly blossomed, yes. And yeah, we met for a weird party out on Roosevelt Island, which was incredible. Um, and oh, rip, rip Roosevelt Island. And yeah. <laughs> I didn't, I forgot that you had gone on tour with Drowsy Chaperone too. So that was, that was after uh, South Pacific, right? That was before South Pacific. Drowsy oh, Chaperone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I uh, came here at like 23 years old and, and, and at 24, I had booked Drowsy Chaperone. So I did that for a year and then I came back and I reconnected with all of you and I worked at Ellen's Stardust Diner in the meantime, That's which right. we called Ellen's STD because I'm sure working there, you probably caught something. <laughs> and uh, and then, yeah, and then six months later, I booked South Pacific, yeah, and did that for like a year and a half. And I mean, you, you, you kind of grew up your, your whole life. You're saying you grew up your whole life, this is what you want to do, musical theater, musical theater, and then you get in there, and you talked about going to LA, and you and I have had many a late night conversation about like, God, this is the worst business. This is just so, <laughs> <laughs> it's struggle, it's horrible. I'm gonna move to LA and be a writer. That's that. I mean, yes, that's exactly true. Look, for me, everyone has their own journey. But I, I think when you do, I, I was very, very blessed to be in three unbelievably long running Broadway shows, which never, ever happens. So for and I was on tour for a year. So literally for nearly 10 years, I worked consistently on Broadway. And there are unbelievably wonderful things about it. You have a built-in community, you have a steady paycheck, you have just, uh, you have so many fun things that you can do within, like the Broadway softball league, Broadway bowling, like there's just so many, Broadway cares, equity fights, AIDS, not, none of which I did, but you can do it. I love it, like all the amazing things you get when you're on Broadway, bowling and softball, those are the top <laughs> of your list. I know, well, it just, there's a lot of communal things that you can do with a built-in family and that's incredible and, and it's such a wonderful experience. However, However, on the flip side, there are things like where you don't have any weekends, you don't have any holidays, you barely have a day off. And so after a decade of that, also trying to be a writer in New York, I was like, I have to put this on the back burner. I I've done it. I know exactly what it's like. And I want to do my next chapter, which is trying to become a television and film writer in Los Angeles. So I up and left after Cinderella. And I moved to Los Angeles and I was like, I'll be here. I was like, I, <laughs> I was like, this is going to be so easy. I made it in New York. I'm going to make it in LA in like a year. And God had <laughs> very different plans for me because I was starting all over again. And no one knew or cared, frankly, about my Broadway resume because I was now trying to be a TV writer. So I, I was starting from the bottom rung. And one year in Los Angeles turned into seven or eight years trying to make it in LA. Well, so you went out there with Jonathan Parks Ramage. Your, your... Yes. Your my writing, writing partner. partner. Yes, yes, yes. And the two of you guys have written so much, so much together. And eventually, uh, you did sell. What did you sell to Margie Mar Margie Robos, Margot <laughs> Robbie's production we, company? We sold a movie script called The Big Gay Jamboree, and she was slated to attach. And you know, writing is a completely. I would. I actually think that it's harder to be a writer than it is to be an actor because the writer you are gesticulating a baby for years on end, and it goes through developmental processes. It goes through multiple different studios, multiple rounds of notes. People move. Uh, executives move all the time, and like things are dropped like hot potatoes. So we were in development with that movie for over two years before basically it, it fell through at, at Paramount. Um, but but Jonathan and I are now redeveloping it for the stage which I think will be very fun and fantastic. And so Ooh. I'm not I'm not letting this baby die yet. But yeah, we sold that and we sold a couple of other uh, television pilots. But I, you know, and I pitched, I want to say 500 different TV shows and movies. I mean, I was working nonstop for free to try to get anything off the ground. And in the meantime, 
I was working dinner theater at this dinner theater venue in Los Angeles doing these like very ratchet movie to musical parodies because it was the only job that I could really get. And the only job that I could do ironically was musical theater, even though I moved to be a writer. And um, that is where Titanic was, the idea of Titanic was born at this ratchet dinner theater in Los Angeles. Really? I thought, oh, yeah. So what, was it a, was it a COVID? I thought it was a COVID baby. No, no, it was not a COVID baby at all. No, we were doing, um, we were doing all these movie musical parodies like Scream, Devil Wears Prada, Troop Beverly Hills. And then one night at the bar of Rockwell, Constantine Rasuli, who plays Jack Dawson in Titanic now, he came up to me and he's like, okay, the next musical that we should do is Titanic, all Celine Dion songs. You're going to be Celine. I'll be Jack. And at the time I was like, cool, cool, cool. Tight, tight, tight. This will never, ever happen or see the light of day. <laughs> and we sat on the idea for, for two years. And then, in 2016, Ty Blue, who was the director of these dinner theater shows, he texted us and he was like, I keep thinking about the Celine Dion idea. I think we should write it. And I, at the time I was like, oh my God, I'm a struggling writer. I know exactly how this goes. This is gonna be so much free work. I don't wanna do this. I don't wanna play Celine Dion. I was just like, I literally was the Grinch, re, re Titanic. But we started writing it for fun and it is so ironic to me that after years and years of, of failure in Los Angeles as a writer, the one thing I got up and running was a musical and came back to New York to perform <laughs> in a musical, which I swore off. <laughs> and it's it's been extended three times now, right? Like three, you, yeah, you were, third time's a charm. Yeah, you were in you were in the asylum, uh, mm -hmm. which was in Chelsea, and then moved to the Daryl Roth, and it and which is slightly bigger house and you keep going and going and going and every time it's i love the show i'm going to get to the show but uh something you you, you mentioned connie as well because connie w was on he was Bach and on broadway here in wicked right and oh, yeah. he's he's got his own broadway credit so when did he move out did he go out with you or did you all just kind of meet up there we, we met up there. I knew Con I knew Connie like through, you know, through various show circles. We were like acquaintances, but I was I would not consider him to be like a good friend. In fact, he thought I was a raging bitch when we met in New York. And I just thought he was just like <laughs> a shallow gay person who just like, I don't know, just went to David Barton's gym all the time. But like I liked him, but like I didn't know him. So when we when I moved, he moved maybe a couple years before me and he had done, I, I don't think he was Bach in Wicked. I think he was, he was Fiero in Wicked. Oh, Fiero, he, right, right. Yeah, he was Link Larkin in Hairspray. He was in Ghost. I mean, he he didn't even go to college. That's how talented he was. He just went straight into Hairspray at 17 and had worked consistently for a decade as well. So it was the same thing with him. He was like, I'm going to make it as a television star. And so he was out in Los Angeles. I was out in Los Angeles. And Ty Blue was out in Los Angeles. Unbeknownst to us, we all wind up at this dinner theater together where we're doing these shows. And that's how Titanic was born. And and I guess this was a COVID baby in the sense that we were slated. Titanic was slated to come off Broadway in 2020, but the pandemic happened. So I was like, well, theater is ruined forever. This is never gonna happen. I knew it. I've wasted all this time on this project. And I was like, and even if Titanic does come to Off-Broadway, the world has been through such a reckoning. Like people aren't even gonna like this because it's like literally just a parody. It's so, it's silly. Like people aren't gonna think that this is fun or funny. No one's gonna wanna come to see theater. And it has been the exact opposite. It's been like divine intervention that it happened when it happened because I think people are looking for joy more than ever. So I think that's been part of the success. Yeah, I was going to say, I think that coming out of it, what what really seemed to succeed was uh, 
things that just made people straight up laugh and disconnect from yeah. from the reality. Put them back in a room together, get them to laugh and and uh, find a common knowledge again because we just God, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I know we're it's, coming it's up insane. on the third year of the pandemic. It's crazy. We're going to take a short break. Stay tuned for more of the episode. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press one. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press two. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And the show, wait, when did, when did the show open? The show opened last... The show opened in, in May of 2022. And yeah, it was, was only... Say it's- it, it's yeah, it's, it's been a while. It's been a while. It was only supposed to run three months. And um, it got extended at uh, the asylum through November. And then the Daryl Roth opened up. And so I moved and, and we moved And every single time. I, you know, I must be the world's biggest pessimist because I'm like, okay, we're moving to a bigger space. How are how is this going to how are we going to maintain the popularity? Are people going to want to come see it at a different venue? And uh, it, it has exceeded my expectations beyond my wildest dreams. I cannot believe we're still running. We're sold out every single night. And it's like a gay football game every single day. There, people are <laughs> screaming as if they're at a rock, uh, like a Celine Dion rock concert. It's It's been the most wild experience of my life. And it has been so joyous for me, even more so as a performer, but as a writer, after struggling for so long, trying to get anything off the ground. I am so, so happy that finally this this is the greatest representation of everything I can do, both as a writer and a performer. Well, it reminds me so much of, I mean, it's your humor. I can see your humor shining through because when, God, it was 10 years, over a decade ago, you and I would get together and make yeah. these, these ridiculous videos that were so much fun to shoot before before everyone had iPhones that could do it all, right? You know, we get our get the cameras and get the crew together and we would make these ridiculous sketch comedy videos and, and <laughs> one of my favorite, what is it? The, 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 uh, uh, the little mermaid singing. Oh my God. Water. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, oh my well, God. I'll put yeah. some links to some of our old videos in the show notes for yeah, this because yeah, yeah. they're, they're worth, they're bringing up, but I can see, I can see the humor coming through and that's, I think, um, I guess, is that a product of your, of your parents, the the type of humor you have, or it's the cynicism. <laughs> Where does that come from? Because like Lisa, your the middle sister, she's just like kind of the happy go lucky. Wherever, yeah. Whereas Olivia's like the the epitome of like yeah, just mm, you know, like you said, she gives <laughs> of, zero fucks of of Stark. Um, yeah. I, you know, I don't, I don't know. My I remember growing up, my family was always very funny, and we always tried to make each other laugh, and we were highly creative. So I. 
but my father and mother are both very optimistic, not very snarky people. So I don't know where our sisters got the snark, to be honest with you. <laughs> but I, I think my snark really came out in, in Los Angeles. And I think, I think the humor, yes, the humor is purely me. And, and the humor is also very much Connie and Ty. And I think what has made the show very successful is that we did it with no producers breathing down our neck of like, oh, we have to make this PG. Oh, you know, we got to tame this. We were just like, fuck it. What is funny to us? Let's make each other laugh. The whole goal in mind was to try to break each other and make each other crack up on stage. And so that's why I think the show is like so outrageous and so wild because we just kept like one up each other on stage all the time. Yeah. What was, did you workshop it? Like, it, and when you're writing it, did, were you on, on your feet doing the lines, like workshopping in front of an audience or whatever? Because I, I, I've talked with so many people who are successful comedians and they are so serious about the science of comedy, right? And you talk to people who are really known for this, like Rob McClure mm -hmm. or whatever, and you've got like mm -hmm. the timing of finding all of your beats to get a laugh on here. And then like, if you wait a half a second over here, you're going to get an additional laugh. Like all yeah. of this, is that... How did you workshop all of this going from the different venues? Because a, a dinner theater is different from the asylum is different from the Daryl Roth. And every time you have to like find your feet again, right? Oh, absolutely. Yes. It, it's that it, it's a very, it's been a very, very long process. We started the process out in Los Angeles. So we wrote the script and we were all, we all had different jobs, different lives. So like Connie, uh, Ty took the first third, Connie took the second. I took the end and then I went over and glossed over everything. So that's how we originally did it. Then we did like a couple table reads with friends. Then we would get together in Connie's. Connie lived in a luxury building in Los Angeles and he had a movie theater in the building. We would rent out the movie theater and every Monday night we would go and we would learn music together and we would just kind of like bounce things off each other. Then we, we did a couple readings in Los Angeles, which then, then I was, after doing some readings, we would sell out these readings. People were cackling. They were like, this is the funniest thing I've ever seen. And I was like, really? Like, we've not really spent this much time on it. There's no money. We're doing everything for free. I'm getting my costume off of um, Rent the Runway. Like Connie's making the props in his home. Then I was it's like, just, it still looks like he's making the props. Himself. Yeah, yeah, I know. We, we, we kept that. We kept that part of it. Then I was like, you know what? Maybe this is maybe this is maybe this is actually funny. So I asked everyone to fly themselves on their own time, put themselves up in New York. And we rented out a week at the Green Room 42, where we did a week's worth of performances. And that's the first time, ironically, that we really got to workshop everything, build on beats, and then we just kept, we did another run at the Green Room 42. We went back to Los Angeles. So it was like a four year process of just doing these readings and workshops and, and fine tuning and fine tuning. And then the first time we ever got a real rehearsal process, ironically, was when we went to the asylum. We had three weeks in a space altogether. We had never, ever had that before. Really? And really. Because we were all doing this for free in Los Angeles. It was all just friends trying to make each other laugh. People were flying away, going to do jobs. So we never, ever spent more than like four hours on the show together. So it's truly crazy to me that it has wound up being so funny and, and successful because there was never any time. And then moving to the Daryl Roth, we didn't have any time either. And that was a completely new restaging. They were like, oh, we've done it at the asylum. We'll give you three days of tech. And it was, it was crazy because we had to completely redo it. So th there has not been quite frankly, a ton of time 
putting putting the show up. But I think that speaks to the testament of how solid the script was in the in the development and workshop process. We got it to such a good place that um, when we did take it to all these different venues, it didn't the staging didn't really honestly matter because the book is is so funny. That's that's really interesting. That I mean, you you grew up with musical theater. Your family is is music, 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 and and then you go to school for musical theater. But then you end up wanting to write. And it like when when you're I guess looking for um, I, well I guess what I'm saying. Where did the talent for writing come from? Did you did you have to craft that specifically, or like when you went into L.A. Did you start doing classes, or do you like? look at the scripts behind movies that you like was there a, a teaching moment there where you had to start like uncovering uh put put uh the musical theater in a in a little box for a while and start crafting the the writings the writing bit yeah you know i started writing we would have these classes in college where we'd have to write like little scenes and so i'd start and and i went to, to college with this guy named jonathan parks ramage who's now a, a best-selling author and um, at the time we were writing scenes for fun and we were like huh this is kind of, this is kind of funny. Like maybe we should like try our hand at this. And so when we started writing together, yeah, we would read a lot of scripts. Like we would read a lot of scripts that were out like on CBS. We would read multicams and single cams. And we started writing so much together and developing a shorthand that I, I, I think that it is absolutely a different skill. But because we were doing so much of it in New York and then we both moved together at, to Los Angeles at the same time, we were both writing so many scripts, pitching so many ideas. We were writing packets for late night to see if we could get staffed on late night. We would have to write samples all the time. We were writing these scripts. So it became a real skill. And I think it really, really helped me when crafting Titanic, because, you know, I, Ty and Connie wrote incredibly funny things, but I think where I came in was I was able to very soundly and structurally write, okay, we need to introduce all the characters here. What would Celine Dion say here? And so I think that that's where I could bring my skill set as a writer is, is fine tuning and making the script really, really tight. I think that's a natural ability. I mean, ultimately, school. Well, I'm going to say I think it's it's sort of nature versus nurture, right? Because you've got to have it in there. You got to have the drive. You got to have the passion to put to put yourself up and decide. Essentially, after you make it, you know, you're on Broadway. You've got multiple credits, and then you're going to start over. Essentially, like you said, you went to L.A. and you're starting over and doing this all again. <laughs> and ironically, you're back doing what you settle to walk away from in the first. I know. Place, which is I know. Fun. It's so full circle. I know. Um, but uh, I guess in in terms, I didn't know Jonathan was a, a best-selling author now either. What what book is it? Oh, he wrote. He published a book called Yes, Daddy, and it's fabulous. It's it's so so great. It, it's so funny because him and I were writing together for I want to say fifteen years, and the only things that that him and I have ever gotten up were independent of each other. He sold a book, um, I think in twenty 2020 twenty or twenty twenty one. He sold Yes, Daddy. And then I got Titanic up and running, but um, but yeah, I think I think the thing about musical theater is that while it is the most incredible thing in the world, you are always in you are always a cog in somebody else's wheel. Mm. Like you're always like a, an, a machine part in a way. Like any job, you know, everyone has their roles. And I was I was so <laughs> I remember watching like all these creative teams that would put the show up and then they would go off on their own and they would like go on vacation. And I was like, huh, I want to have some of that. I want to do that. I don't want to be stuck here, you know, for a year and a half doing it. 
And I was like, well, you know, maybe, maybe you get a little bit more of that independence and autonomy if you are on a creative team and if you start to write. So ultimately that was what I was really striving for. But at the same time, I loved performing. I love performing and I'm desperate to do that as well. So I, you know, now I just call myself the poor man's Lin-Manuel Miranda because <laughs> I get to write and star in my own thing. I'm just not making nearly as much money as him. <laughs> one day. One yeah, day, one you'll, day. You'll get like like uh, Warner Brothers animation, not Disney. But you, 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 yeah, you, you not, not Disney. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what was the... Uh, God, the, that CCM video that, that is still like a cult viral hit uh, of you doing Colors of the Wind purposely off key. Yeah. <laughs> yes, there's, yes. That is when that, I mean, I'm, that's really going to date me. That's before YouTube. That's before TikTok. It went viral right when like the internet came out. So like viral back then was like people emailing each other being like, hey, you should listen to this. Yeah. And um, it's it's yeah. so funny how, how uh, the internet, like don't believe anything you read on the internet because I remember I sent it to you at, because somebody forwarded it to me. Remember when email forwards were a thing? It was yeah, forwarded yeah, yeah. to 10 of your closest friends. Yes. And it was, listen to this audio file of an actual uh, Caribbean cruise line audition. And it was the audio from your video. Stop it. So, I do. Do you not remember this? I sent this to you because it was, it was sent to me by Rachel, Evan Rachel Wood's father. Who... <laughs> Wait, no, I did not know this at all. Wait, what? <laughs> So yes, I I performed with with Ira David Wood. So in Raleigh, North Carolina, where I'm from, right? So Ira, I've done some things with with David Wood, and he has, maintains this email list of stuff. And he's like, check this out. This is a real audition from a cruise line, from Carnival Cruise Lines, or whatever it was. And I was like, you know, I play it, and I'm like, okay, what is this? I'm like, I'm like, holy shit, that's that's Marla, that's Marla's video. And I wrote him back. I'm like, this is David. Come on, man. No, I know. I remember when I was working at Ellen Stardust Diner, they were like, have you heard this one like middle aged woman sing Colors of the Wind? And I was like, hi, I'm Marla, and I'm certainly not middle aged. They were like, wait, you did that? So then they're like, can you sing it for the customers? So there would be days where I would sing Colors of the Wind in that voice at Ellen Stardust Diner to a boatload of tourists who were probably like, who the hell is this 23 year old woman <laughs> with this terrible voice? Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Okay. I will, I'll find that because I'm sure it's on YouTube somewhere. We'll add it to the show notes or put it yeah. on Instagram. God, that's so freaking funny. Did you ever get to, um, to write or, or contribute creatively to special on Netflix? No, I did not. That was all that was all Ryan's baby. But you know, he always he always gave me liberty to improv anything I wanted. And to be honest with you, I never really improved all that much because his writing is so funny. Yeah. And the writing for my character, Olivia, especially was the funniest. Um, so I, I did not that was that was really his baby. And he had like a, a mini writer's room. Um, and I was very happy to come in and just say his lines because they were so friggin funny. And there was I mean, it was just so great getting to play like a well-dressed bitch. It was like Devil Wears Prada, but again, less money. <laughs> and then you've also tried uh, The Devil's Bitch. You had your own your own feature film that you... Uh, Correct, your own short, musical feature film. That, musical yes. feature film that uh, that's out there as well. That, I mean, like I, I am just in awe of how much you have tried to create and successfully created as well. Like it just goes to show you that, that there's so much that happens behind the scenes uh, th to get someone to where they are in terms of of being on stage or even the creation or like the amount of creative team members 
that go into putting something up, right? And or our happenstance circumstances like Titanic, would it have been as popular as it is had we not have the pandemic? I'm not saying right. that the pandemic is a good thing, but like we were just talking about coming out of it, people needed something to hold on to, to laugh and to really uh, to, to focus on. And this was like the perfect thing. And then um, like Celine Dion knows about it and gave her <laughs> blessing. Well, I don't know if she's given her, her blessing. I think her team has given her blessing. So when we were doing these readings in New York, David Foster's manager, David Foster is a composer who wrote all of her iconic songs. So his manager came and then started bringing lawyers. We had music rights people coming. Then we got David Foster himself to come see it. Then Celine's publicist came. And while we've been at the asylum in Daryl Roth, Celine's backup dancers, her makeup artist, her physician. I mean, everyone within her world has come to see it. And um, one of her former music agents came to see it. And they have just said, she would love this. She would <laughs> love this. And I think she would too. She's got to know about it. She has oh, got oh. to know about it. I mean, she has to because everyone tags her all the time. They tag her so much for Titanic Musical that I feel bad. <laughs> like I've stopped tagging her because I don't want her to be like, who is this annoying girl who thinks she's me? Um, so yeah, it's, it's been, it's been just wild, but everyone has said this is so up her alley and, and I'm, I'm glad because truthfully, like she taught me how to sing. I listened to her growing up constantly and Connie and Ty are both huge fans and, and Nicholas Connell, who's the music, uh, orchestrator and arranger and musical director. We are all such huge fans of her that what I hope that this looks like it not not only very funny but as a love letter to her because she truly is one of the greatest singers of all time so i'm glad that everyone has come to see the show and i'm glad that they love it and they think that i remind them of her because that's that's the greatest <laughs> dream for me well it, it's it, it kind of ties together a, a bunch of um i guess the cult there's a cultural aspect to this too because what did you call it it's a big gay super bowl or something did you, is that I mean, yeah you it's, a, it's a gay football game a gay football game right <laughs> and and because I, I think uh, there's a lot of queer culture that is referenced and is integrated and is obviously part of your life being a queer individual yourself, right? Yeah. And and Connie and everybody else who identifies along those lines. And it, it's like the audience is such is so energetic and so happy and just you you give them the show gives them the permission to interact with you in a way that you don't normally get sitting at like a Leopoldstadt, nothing against Leopoldstadt, <laughs> night and day. You know what I mean, right? But I, I think that that comes with being working in dinner theater. Like when we were working in dinner theater, you know, people were eating fries and, and downing glasses of wine. And we were just in the mix of that. And we were drink. we would grab, I mean, this is pre-COVID, but you, you'd grab their drink and you drink their drink and then sing a song. And so we wanted to make sure that that kind of intimacy was retained because that's kind of what makes it so special. And it makes people feel like they're uh, in on the joke with you. And um, and also Celine Dion is very much like that, how she talks to people at her concert. She brings people up on stage. She's so kind to all of her fans. She, you know, she looks at you directly in the eyes. So it was very, very important to us that we retain that and that level of intimacy. But what I find so fascinating is that, yes, obviously in a weird way, Titanic, the movie has this kind of camp kind of aspect about it. It was very popular in all of our sexual awakenings as straight queer people, because we were all in that era when it came out. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of millennials that come to the, to the show. And, uh, and obviously there is, there are a lot of queer jokes, but what I find so fascinating in moving to the Daryl Roth is that the fan base has grown and I see 
I see people in their 60s and 70s all the time. And there was like a woman that came up to me yesterday. She was in her 70s. She was like, I've had the worst two weeks of my life. This made me laugh so hard and put such a smile on my face. And I get those kinds of messages from 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 older people all the time. And in my head, I'm like, we didn't write this with you in mind. Like, <laughs> what do you find so funny about this? But I, but I think that that's, that's the best part is that it's not just appealing to, to queer people. It's actually appealing to, to everyone. And that makes me feel like we've really struck something and, and hit, you know, commercial gold. It's yeah, it, it's uh, Celine Dion, of course, who has a yeah. multi-generational appeal and a, mo a multi-sexual identification appeal. <laughs> yeah. uh, and <laughs> and the and Titanic, which, of course, um, is every everybody of our generation has to love Titanic or hate oh. it, depending on on where you are. But yeah, so Titanic and Celine Dion and then now in, integrating the humor that I, I, I feel like it's social media humor. Uh, it's yes. pop culture humor. Yes, and so it it's, is. it's taking all this nostalgic stuff that everybody loves and making it current again. And you just did you and you and Connie and Ty, you guys just did a brilliant job. And I've seen it. I've seen the show multiple times, obviously. And every time I, I never get tired. It's it is so Thank funny. You. I feel like there's always a joke, a new joke in there that I've missed the previous times I've seen it. There, There is. I mean, we 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 try very, very hard to keep the script very updated and fresh. So if there's like a big cultural moment, we have to talk about it. I have a whole section where I improv something different every single night. I remember. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I pull from whatever is like current in the headlines. I make Jack and Rose do things all the time. Um, but it's it's very, very different and it's based on current events. So I think what pe what keeps people coming back because people have been seeing the show three, four, six, seven, 14 times. I mean, it's just crazy. You don't see the same show every single night. It is completely different. And that actually goes to, to me being in musical theater and having to do the same thing over and over and over again. I wanted to make sure that I, if I was gonna do musical theater again, like that it would be, it would change every night so that you don't feel like a robot or like you're a cog in a wheel. You feel like you're actually organic and fresh and, and delivering something new to the audience. And so whenever you come back, you don't, you don't see this uh, same show twice, yeah. We're gonna take a short break. Stay tuned for more of the episode. Hello, it is Ryan and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. Now that is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Is there any feedback that, that sticks out as being particularly surprising in a good way of just like, aside from a 60 year old lady who's like, why do you like this? Do you have anything <laughs> else that's like, oh yeah, okay. I mean, the the amount of, I think one of the greatest moments thus far is is RuPaul came to the show and <gasps> really? he is obviously such a big influence. I, I mean, yeah, that 
the celebrities that have been coming, first of all, every micro gay influencer on Instagram has seen the show. But also, like, we've had people from Callista Flockhart, a.k.a. Ally McBeal. Mm -hmm. Last week, Matt Bomer came. We had um, the host of Z100 last night, RuPaul. I mean, it's just been Gus Kenworthy. All, All of these huge people in different facets and areas of the entertainment industry. But RuPaul was a, was a really big one because he has obviously influenced our humor. He's influenced a major part of the show, which I will not give away. Um, and it was so funny. No one told me that he was going to be there because I have m- deep musical theater anxiety. <laughs> so if I would faint, if I know that, but I was doing my improv uh, scene. And as I walked off, someone was clapping for me. And so as Selena, I was like, oh my God, thank you so much. And I looked at him and he had a hood on and I was like, oh my fucking God, is that RuPaul? (laughs) And so I didn't say anything to anyone because I was like, if that is him, I will die. But um, at the end of the show, he just, you know, relayed to the team how much he loved it. And you could see him smiling and cackling the entire time. And he started to relax, especially, you know, towards the second act. And and that was a really big moment to, to see that we could get such huge cultural icons at our little rinky-dink show. It's not rinky-dink, man. I think... It is. I mean, it feels like that to me just because I've worked on it for so long. I know. I feel like you've got imposter syndrome. And I want to touch on the anxiety a second uh, for a second there because I I know like you're always wanting things to be so good and you're always wanting it and and i know and knowing you that you're always like it's just not that great it's just it could be better it could be better <laughs> and and where everybody else on the outside is like what are you talking about this is amazing Ugh. right like when, i know do you, do you still feel that like even... i feel that every day every day really? it is imposter syndrome yes yeah i feel it i feel it uh, you know to be to be very very frank with you i deal with you know very bad stage right and i think that a part of the reason is i feel like there's such a high expectation to live up to the vocals of so Dion and I'm not her I can't sing like her um and I'm trying my my very very best but I just want people I just want people to think that I'm doing like a good job as her you know and everyone's like but it's you doing her but I want I I want people to think that like it's a it's a really good impression so I get I get crazy about that and I get crazy about I get crazy about sounding just like her so I listen to her recordings a lot and you know yeah so I'm still I'm still the the mentally ill person that you knew from 15 years ago. <laughs> is <laughs> is what I'm change. trying to say. Yeah, never, never change. change. Yeah. Never, change. never change. No, you shouldn't. No, and and well, it's it's just great because I think it, all the, all this level of success that multiple people have reached and whatnot. I mean, like I, I reference this all the time in the podcast is is talking with Patty Muren about having uh, full on panic attacks in the middle of her solos, like oh, inside yeah. her head. She's breaking down while still singing. What are, you same. know? Do you want to build a snowman? Right. So it really, it's the same. Like on oh, stage, it's the same. You, you, you oh get yeah, in, yeah, yeah. You get yeah, in your own we... head like that. Oh my God, all the time. I'm having an out of body experience. Yeah. I mean, I, I was I was very taken when she wrote that article because. There are a lot of us that suffer from that. It's so weird when your body is doing something, but your mind is somewhere else. And for me, if I screw up a note or if I crack, like I just get so in my head and I, I fail to realize I'm human. You're sometimes you're not feeling well. You have a headache. If you're a woman, you're on your period. Your voice changes because of that. There's all these factors that go into maintaining a show eight times a week, it is only natural that at one point you're going to feel a little bit wonky. But when we first transferred to the Daryl Roth, I went through a huge period of deep, deep anxiety because the asylum was so um, small and grungy and intimate, and it did not feel like a theatrical experience. But when we went to the Daryl Roth, suddenly there's a stage, there's a proscenium, I'm looking out at faces, there's black lights. And, and yeah, it was 
very, very challenging. And so I definitely have a roller coaster. I have good performances and I have bad performances when my anxiety is really, really high. But there, there are a lot of us that experience that. And I think that's kind of only natural. If you're a human being at, with a brain who's kind of self-critical of yourself, there's only, <laughs> it's only natural that you're going to be like, oh my God, I friggin' suck tonight, you know? Right. Well, it's, it's taken me, what, I'm 40, I just turned 42? Yeah. Like back in October, right? And, and now I'm just like, you know what? I just don't think I want to care about the things I used to care about in, yeah. in a good way, right? And it because it's taking it's taken a little bit of of being a dad and having kids and and looking through their world and saying like, oh man, the stuff that 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 they're concerned about, like they come home so upset because somebody was just like, I'm not going to be your friend anymore, right? Right? <laughs> and it was just like, huh? Oh yeah, I guess that still matters when people say that because they mean it in that moment, and then tomorrow right. they're they're totally fine again. It, you know, it's as fickle as the industry is in general, but yeah. Um, it, gosh, I, I, maybe I should I, have a child and then I won't care as much. Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause it, they're super easy. They don't take up any time. Right. So, right. Right. So definitely have like, yeah. like six they're basically days. for free. Yeah. You spend no money on them. Yeah. You, yeah. Like you raise them to help you. That's the point yeah. of having children. Yeah. So like that, they can be your gopher, get you your coffee. Did right. I tell you that there was one day when I think Jackson was, uh, how old is he now? Six. He was about three and a half, maybe four. And he made my coffee in the morning. Wow. I wake up I wake up, in, I wake up to, you know, our Google smart homes we use as walkie-talkies so we can broadcast across them. And so I'm I, I'm in another room. I I hear blah, blah, you know, "Daddy, I made you coffee." And I'm like <gasps> I bolt out of bed, yeah. run to the kitchen <laughs> expecting to to see like coffee and water and everything all over the floor and I'm looking around. I'm like there's no it looks fine. It looks fine. And it's this perfectly brewed little cup of coffee. Oh my god. And, wait, wait. Now you're like really selling me on having kids so that i can just get a cup of coffee every morning <laughs> and now so i said so the other day i was like jackson you want to help me with dinner he's like no but i'll still make you coffee oh like, lava oh great great great, great. <laughs> okay okay do you i don't know if i've ever asked you i don't know if we've ever talked about this do you have a fun coming out story no or, i have a terrible coming out story but it's really? funny in retrospect and i'm happy to tell it to you okay um i uh i was in a secret relationship with a girl in my high school. She wrote me a love letter. I dropped the love letter during Music Man rehearsal where I was playing Mary and the Librarian. My high school theater rival picked it up. She started telling the entire school. My girlfriend at the time confronts her the next day at rehearsal and is like, hey, Ariel, come here. And she decks Ariel across the mm. face and then gets suspended and your then girlfriend gets suspended. My girlfriend at the time your gets suspended. Your secret girl girlfriend. My secret girlfriend. And I'm so scared that Mr. Mankowski, who is the theater leader, I'm so scared he's going to call my parents that I ended up telling my parents that I was in a relationship. And then they didn't believe me <laughs> <laughs> because I was also dating men. I was dating men all, at the, all the time as well. So my parents just didn't believe me. Yeah, it was a, yeah, it was a wild, wild story. That's that ridiculous. My, so wait, that's my coming uh, out story. Well, did it, it so they were, Okay, I don't even know where to go with this because they were like, you're, you're like, okay, mom, dad, uh, I like women. And they're like, no, you don't. Yeah, like, they were like, was how is that possible? You had boyfriends all through high school. And I was like, yeah, but like, you can do both. I don't know, so it was that, the 90s. So that like- didn't compute, even in the 90s, that still didn't compute for them? No, I don't And your dad being so. in musical theater? I know, my dad is basically, no offense to Steve, because I love him, but he's basically a, a gay man slash woman. So I was like, <laughs> he, of all people, will understand the plight. 
because he's like so theatrically inclined and they just I, I just don't think it was just a different generation which is wild to say because it's it's the 90s but I think right. now if I were to say that that would be like okay you know what I mean because like I feel like every Gen Z person is queer in some way or, of course yeah yeah, yeah or because you can talk just, about anything yeah yes so yeah that was my coming out story it was not it was not a good one but it's a great story Oh, that's funny. That's funny. So, you, so she got suspended, uh, and so I guess the rest of the class at that point was like, "What the hell?" Or she they were suspended. like, "Oh yeah, we knew, we knew." No, like no one really knew, but she got suspended. But then she decided to take the entire like year. She like got homeschooled, so then she was like out of the picture. So then, uh, I guess people knew about it, but no one. the The good news is, is that I was not bullied. Like no one ever like came for me, which is great because it's also that it was also the nineties. Like you just, you know, you don't know. And everyone has a different high school experience, but it was, it, it ended up being fine. And then I went to college and everyone in college is gay. In fact, we had a term called gay by May. If you came to the college in September as a straight person by May, you would be gay. <laughs> and that's, that was true for literally everyone in my class. Fair. All right. Yeah. Well, is it, Sexuality is a spectrum. That's yeah, what exactly. Say, right? What the, the kids now like get a, get offended if you try to, to put somebody in a box, right? And I've got listeners of that age, and so like I, I'm I I want to understand this. And again, being the ripe young age of forty two that I am, um, <laughs> it's just now it's now coming around. Like I'm allowed to talk about it, but it's I didn't get to experience the same thing that they get to experience when right. when they they are that age now, right? So because especially in North Carolina where I grew up, that additionally was not yeah. cool. And I couldn't being that I wasn't involved religiously at all in town, I couldn't even date people's daughters who went to church and if I because I wasn't Baptist and they were oh wow oh my god yeah it was it was a, a, a time it was an experience wow yeah I I wish in a way that we like I wish we were raised in this generation and I don't because of iPhones but like in terms of like being queer and doing whatever you want and having open discourse about everything I feel like Gen Z is so good at and um so yeah I feel like my coming out story would be a lot different had it been in 2023 <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean hopefully it wouldn't have been cyber bullied that's the worst like because once it's out there you can't take it back you know yes yeah yeah absolutely yeah. well i want to wrap up with three closing questions that i ask okay. everybody on the on the podcast the first question just very simply is what motivates you making people laugh that motivates me like seeing seeing mm -hmm. smiles on people's faces and and cracking a joke and seeing someone cackle that motivates me every day Cackling, cackling, cackling. That is a special kind of laugh. We call it um, a genu a genuine cackle. You know how you're like are like lol on the phone, yeah. But like you don't know if someone's actually lolling. So a gen cack when when I say that to my friends <laughs> is a genuine cackle. That means I'm actually laughing while reading the text. <laughs> use, so that use, that motivates me. A gen cack. A gen, a gen where, which if you're Boston is, has a totally different yeah. meaning. A gen cack. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what advice would you give to your younger self and younger people is sitting now starting out down a similar path? Be fearless. Be fearless and never ever take no for an answer. If somebody doesn't believe in you, screw them. Do it yourself. You know, Fair. just just always keep plugging along and believe in yourself because you'll make it happen even if no one else believes in you. You'll make it happen. I love it. Okay. If yeah. you can only see one show for the rest of your life, but you can see it as many times as you want, what would you see? <laughs> oh my God, you're going to laugh. Ghost the Musical. 
<laughs> Ghost we in saw a Musical. That. We saw I know, that together. I know we did see that together. Oh it's my, my God. <laughs> people, people, I, 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 they ream me for it all the time. It was my favorite musical. I saw it four times. Granted, I was on Pop Brownies every single time, but it was. <laughs> yes, we were. <laughs> it was the greatest musical I've ever seen. It had everything. Ballads, great songs, magic, comedy, tears. It was <laughs> It was it was amazing. I have I rather, stand by that. I have fond memories of that show, and I appreciate it. Yeah, and also, uh, yeah, and and then she fell as well, way out in Bushwick. Was that where? Oh she was? yeah, and then yeah. she fell. Oh my god. Yeah. yeah that, uh, unfortunately, that was I was I was also on a pop brownie. I don't do pop brownies anymore. I feel like then she <laughs> fell was the last time. I was like, okay, my time is up. That's a wrap on me with pop brownies. Yeah, that was a lot. <laughs> uh, great. Where can we find you online? Connect with you. Connect with the show. Oh, you can uh, connect with the show at Titanic Musical on Instagram. You can buy tickets, titanicmusical.com. You can find me on Instagram at Marla Mindell. Please follow me. <laughs> I don't know why. Please, please follow me. Please. I'm pushing 40. I have zero followers. Um, maybe it'll help me, I don't know, book a TV show in the future. So give a gal a follow. <laughs> <laughs> and please go see the show. Oh, my God. It's so funny. You can get more of me and amazing episodes like the one you just heard at the theaterpodcast.com. Uh, I'm on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, Facebook. Find me on there. Leave a rating and review wherever you're listening now. Thank you to Jukebox the Ghost for the intro and outro music. Thank you to Marla Mandel for writing Titanic Musical. And thank you again <laughs> to Marla Mandel for having this wonderful conversation. Thank you for having me. Take a deep breath, make the world a little colorful. Hey, it's Leslie Udom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply.